Let's read Matthew 5, and we're going to start at verse 2. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So in this picture that Jesus has given us in the Beatitudes, the last Beatitude that we're going to talk about this morning uh, does, I think, the best job of showing us the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. The differences between a Christian and a non-Christian. And this final beatitude can be summarized with a very simple statement, and it's this, Christians will be persecuted by non-Christians. Christians will be persecuted by non-Christians. Or as Jesus said in the parallel passage in Luke 6.22, it says, Blessed are you when people hate you and they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. Now look, we cannot be naive about this. Persecution is a part of the Christian life. You know, in some eras, Christians experience uh, more persecution than in other eras. Uh, in some eras, the persecution may look different than it does at other times. And in a Christian's own life, there may be times in which he is experiencing persecution um, <clears throat> because he is a Christian, and there may be other times that there isn't as much persecution or there's less criticism of him by a non-Christian world. You may be saying, well, well, pastor, I, I haven't been persecuted much for Christ. You know, you say that Christians are going to be persecuted by non-Christians and that persecution is inevitable. That's an inevitable experience for the Christian. Uh, but I haven't been persecuted much for Christ. And that actually makes me a little bit worried. Well, I have one, if that's you, I have one thing to say to you. Life is not over yet. <laughs> it's not over yet. Persecution, being insulted, suffering for the sake of Christ, slander, people saying bad things about you, people trying to discredit you, those are the forms of persecution that are sometimes the most wicked and heinous and are the most effective in our day. You know, in fact, there was an entire book of the Bible written to help Christians deal with slander, and that book is 1 Peter. 
First Peter. Read and study First Peter because the point of the book is how to deal with slander in this present evil age. And if there ever was an age that I think has perfected slander down to a fine art, it is this age. Uh, if you are faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, you will be slandered, you will be insulted, and you will be maligned by non-Christians in this age. People are going to say bad things about you. People are going to try to paint you in a bad light. You are going to be painted as a fanatic extremist who is on the fringes of American culture, which you are. I guess that's true. But I want you to notice as we look at this passage here in Matthew, the verbs that Jesus used to describe this persecution. He said that evil cultures will hate faithful Christians. He said that apostate churches are going to ostracize Christians, that is, to excommunicate Christians and slander them and seek to discredit faithful Christians. Evil cultures will heap insults on faithful Christians in, in an effort to discourage them. They will spurn your name on account of the Son of Man, as Luke says. These are strong words. And the more evil and the more hostile to Christ the culture becomes, the more intense and the more wicked the persecution of Christians will be. And understand, when Jesus is speaking of persecution of Christians, uh, it's not just persecution from the state or from atheists or from radical secularists that are out there. No, it's from the church. It's from the church. Remember who gave Jesus the hardest time? Who gave him the hardest time? Who tried to discredit Jesus, slander him? Uh, who made up all of these exaggerated things about him every time he turned around? It was the scribes and the Pharisees. And who were the scribes and the Pharisees? They were the leaders of the church in that day. So Jesus says, not only expect an anti-Christian civil government to come against you if they view you as a threat to their objectives, uh, not only view the society that you live in, if it's anti-Christian, to be hostile to you and therefore able to persecute you, but if the church is not what she ought to be, if she is full of spiritual infidelity and apostasy, then expect the church and the leadership of the church to be a threat to you and to persecute you, to insult you, and to hate you. Jesus made this point clearly throughout his life. Your harshest, most severe, and uncharitable persecutors can be the leadership of today's churches. So as you live for your life for Christ, do not be ignorant. Do not be naive. Christians who are faithful to the Lord will experience heavy persecution. And so far in our age, that persecution has taken the form mostly of slander and talking about you and lying about you behind your back. Now, why is it from Jesus' perspective that non-Christians persecute Christians? Why is that? Well, let's see what Jesus said about this from the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew's account says that the reason that they are going to persecute you and insult you and drag your name through the mud is, verse 11, on my account, on my account. And verse 10, for righteousness' sake. 
Luke's account says that the reason they're going to persecute you is, let's look at verse 22. Blessed to you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. So what's the reason Christians are persecuted by non-Christians? Well, if you're persecuted because of a lack of wisdom, that is not what he's saying here. If you're persecuted because you have been reckless and irresponsible and overzealous in defending the faith and because of your own stupidity or lack of wisdom, that is not what Jesus is saying here. Or if you have assumed the mission of being God's representative on Facebook, being a keyboard warrior uh, on Twitter, and you've been overzealous and you've been being accused of lacking love and charity, that is not what Jesus is talking about. No, what Jesus is saying is that if you get in trouble and people start speaking bad about you because, because you love Jesus and you want to be like Jesus and you want to stand for Jesus, Jesus says you're blessed. You're blessed. If you're being persecuted for wanting to live a righteous life, you're blessed. That's something, right? Think about this. You're blessed, and you want to live a righteous life, and people hate you for it. Man, wouldn't you think everybody would want you to live a righteous life? I mean, in this world of lawlessness and vandalism and crime and general hatred and coldness towards one another, someone wanting to live a life marked by righteousness and love, I think would be a breath of fresh air, right? seems reasonable to think that a neighborhood and a community that is righteous is going to be a pretty nice community to live in, right? That's what we hope. It would be nice to not have to lock your doors all the time, right? You would think that wanting to live a righteous life would be welcomed and encouraged by others. But Jesus said, if you try to be righteous, non-Christians are going to persecute you for it. If you try to live for God, your neighborhood, your community, and your culture, even your own family members, are, even your, the state officials, uh, even the whole society at large, even some in church, will persecute you, they'll insult you, they'll slander you, and they'll drag your name through the, ru- the mud and try to ruin your reputation, and they'll say all sorts of uncharitable things about you and basically wish you were dead. That if you love Christ and you want to stand for Christ, and live a righteous life, this world, this evil system in this world is going to come against you. Family members will come against you. That's what Jesus says, and that is a blessing. John 15, 18. Let's look at that real quick. John 15, 18. He says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. In other words, Jesus is saying that uh, if people around you Uh, in this culture hate you, don't take it personally. Don't take it personal. Because they hate you because they hate who you represent, which is Christ. And if they hadn't hated Christ, they wouldn't hate you. Let's keep reading. Verse 19. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. See, if the world knew that you were one of them 
and you thought the way the world thinks, if you were actively rebelling against God like the world does, if you live the way the world does, if you dress the way the world dresses, uh, if you have the mores and customs of the world, if you talk the way that the world does, look, you're not going to get persecuted at all. Nobody is going to insult you. Nobody is going to hate on you. It's not going to marginalize you and put you on the fringes of society. No, you're going to be right in the center of society. You are going to be in the end crowd. But since you are not of the world, but Jesus Christ has chosen you out of the world and made you a new creation, and since the world recognizes that you are not like them because of the way you live, they are going to hate you. That means some of your family, some of the members of your community, even some members of your church will hate you even as the world hated Christ. Verse 20. Remember that word I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Look, we're no better than Jesus. A servant is like his master. If they slandered and persecuted Jesus, they're going to do the same thing to you. Verse 21. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name. See, right here. They don't really want you at the end of the day. They want Jesus. Because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. You see, as long as you're faithful to Christ, you're going to make them feel guilty. Their guilt is being put right in front of them. And whenever you're around them, just like Jesus was around them, you make them feel guilty. And rather than going to Christ and having their sin dealt with, they would rather kill you and crucify you. Verse 23, whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. Now notice the point he makes time after time in these verses. It is Christ that they're after. Now, I want you to notice the attitude that we are supposed to have towards persecution. What sort of attitude should we have as we are being persecuted, as we're undergoing this? Uh, well, first of all, notice what Jesus didn't say. Downcast and despairing are you when men hate you. Depressed are you when men marginalize you? Sad are you when they cast insults at you and drag your name through the mud? Terrified are you when they come after you? Intimidated are you when they threaten you? Does Jesus say that? No, no. The life of persecution on account of Jesus isn't any of those things. What does he say it is? It's a blessed life. It's a blessed life. It's a blessed time of your life. That's what Jesus says. Jesus says back in Matthew 5, 12, he says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Luke gives uh, the account of Jesus expounding on this a little bit more. And Jesus says in that passage, Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Leap for joy when you're slandered. Leap for joy when people say bad things.
you. Leap for joy when you're marginalized and spurned and, and you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. Leap for joy. Doesn't sound like you're terrified, right? No, we leap for joy. We should rejoice. Amen? Now, there are certain ways that a Christian shouldn't face persecution. There are certain ways that a Christian should not face persecution. First of all, he shouldn't go into persecution with a martyr complex. That means seeking glory and being the victim. Uh, that, that used to be a big problem back in the early church. Uh, they read the scriptures about how suffering for Christ is this blessed experience. And so they had a real problem of people going out and trying their best to get killed, right? I want to suffer. Somebody out there make me suffer so I can be more like Jesus. You know, and then they, they basically wave the red cape in front of the bull. Come and get me. That's being unwise, and irresponsible and, and overzealous. Come on, bros, let's go to jail. No, no, let's not provoke the persecutors so that we can get put in jail. Don't do that. Avoid seeking glory from being persecuted. No martyr complex allowed. We got to avoid waving red capes in front of bulls. Nor should a Christian grieve over the fact that he's being persecuted. Nor should we be scared of being persecuted or intimidated when persecutions threaten us. It's nothing to be scared of. It's nothing to be scared of. Nor should we stoically stiffen our upper lip and clench our teeth and just resolve to grin and bear it. No, these are not the attitudes that Jesus is telling us to have. Instead, the Christians should think of persecution on account of Christ and for, the right, and for righteousness' sake, as one of the greatest privileges and joys of his life. Although persecution hurts, it hurts. Remember, you need to count the costs before you run out there and take the risk of being persecuted. It's a risk that you have to calculate and think about before you take it. Consider the cost. Consider the options. Right? One of the greatest privileges and joys of his life, of the Christian's life, is to be persecuted. And look, persecution and slander, being ostracized, it hurts. You will pay the price. You uh, are going to have to deal with slander, right? Who, who likes people going behind their back and talking about you negatively? No one likes that. You know, you're going, and look, you're going to go back and you're going to try to defend yourself. And in their eyes and in the eyes of those who really don't know any better and they're caught in the crossfire, the more you talk, you just look more and more guilty the more you speak, right? Slander is a powerful means of persecution and it's painful. It hurts. Don't let anyone tell you differently. I'm not trying to minimize that. But although persecution hurts, it is a cause of rejoicing in the experience of faithful believers. It is a blessed experience that when a faithful Christian is insulted, ostracized, lied about, and slandered, that Christian counts that persecution as a blessed experience. He rejoices in it. Even in the pain, he's glad in it, and he is able to leap for joy 
to rejoice. So that happy people leaping for joy describes Christians who cannot contain themselves because of the joy they have and for the suffering for Christ that they're going through. I'll ask you, are we even a little bit familiar with that kind of joy? Are we even a little bit familiar that when people lie about you and insult you and you are suffering for Christ, that you are excited and you just want to jump for joy because it's such a blessed experience? Now, you may be thinking, how in the world can suffering for Jesus, particularly having bad things said about you, being slandered and hated and marginalized. You know, none of the other churches want anything to do with you. Uh, This guy is a dangerous extremist fanatic. You know, your family keeping their distance from you. Uh, How can that be said to be a blessed experience and a cause for real rejoicing in your life? How can that be? Well, I'll give you three reasons. The first reason that this is a blessed experience is that you are never more like Christ And you are never closer to Christ than when you are suffering for Christ. You are never more like Christ, and you're never closer to Christ than when you're suffering for Christ. If there ever was a person who lived a life of sorrow, acquainted with grief, who was rejected by the very people he had chosen to be his very own since the very beginning, and at the end of his life, got spat upon, tortured, crucified, and buried by those same people. If there ever was a person unjustly persecuted, it was the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, if there ever was a person who saw suffering as a blessed experience, and when reviled against, would not revile back, and would not seek to persecute his persecutors, which he easily could have done with the snap of a finger, right? Kill them all, since he's the son of God, right? If there ever was a man who submitted to the will of God and saw the meaning and purpose of suffering and persecution for righteousness' sake in his life, it was the Lord Jesus Christ. And you and I are never more like him than when people say bad or untrue things or do things unjustly to us or be unkind to us because we love Jesus. We are more like Christ in those times than in any other time in our lives. And not only are we more like Christ than any other time in our lives, we are closer to Christ than at any other time in our lives. What did Jesus say to Paul as he was going down the road to Damascus to persecute Christians? And Jesus comes and blinds him on the way. And Jesus says to Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Now, Paul wasn't thinking he was persecuting Jesus himself. He thought he was persecuting Christians. But Jesus said that when you persecute Christians, you're persecuting me. Because I am the head and they are my body. And we are one. There's a closeness there. There's an intimacy there connected uh, from between the head and the body, connected together. And the head and the body live and move as one flesh because they are one flesh. And there is a closeness between me and my people. And when they suffer on my account, uh, for when you persecute them, you are persecuting me. And Paul later on spoke of this as the fellowship of his sufferings. 
So why is this thing of suffering for Christ, not because of our own lack of wisdom, uh, but why is suffering for Christ such a blessed thing, such a great cause for joy that will make us leap for joy? Because when, it's because when we are suffering for righteousness' sake, when we're being slandered uh, on account of Jesus, when we are suffering for him, we are never more like Christ and we are never closer to Christ than when we are being persecuted for his sake. That's the first reason. The second reason why suffering for Christ is a blessed thing, and Jesus tells us why that is, he said in Matthew 5.12, for your reward is great in heaven. Your reward is great in heaven. Now, when the Bible says that God is going to reward us with uh, great and wonderful things, and he's going to reward the wicked with punishment uh, and, um, and damnation, that word reward has two different meanings when it comes to rewarding believers and rewarding the wicked. For instance, when God rewards the wicked man, he does it justly. Amen? When he rewards the wicked man by giving the wicked man exactly what he deserves. That's his reward. But when God rewards the righteous and the faithful, he gives them not what they deserve, uh, which would be the same thing that the wicked guy got, right? But he gives him what they don't deserve, free unmerited grace. That means that any reward God gives you and me as believers uh, in him, that gives us, uh, he gives us something far greater than we deserve, far beyond anything that we could work for. God's rewards are indeed gracious rewards. They're not based on merit or worth or, or what you've earned. They are poured out upon us based on the riches of God's glory. So don't think of this reward in Matthew 5 as some kind of compensation for doing the right thing because you earned it by suffering, okay? You didn't earn anything by suffering for Jesus. So when Jesus blesses us with great rewards in heaven, it's not because we've earned anything by undergoing suffering for him. No, it's because of his grace, giving us something that we don't deserve, getting these great rewards in heaven, enjoying the blessedness of the fellowship of God through all eternity, being heirs of God, being joint heirs with the Lord Jesus. Great is our reward in heaven. That is what Jesus is saying here. Man, that should make us want to leap for joy, right? Amen. The present sufferings are nothing in comparison with the bliss and the joy and the rewards that we receive when we are with the Lord Jesus. Not to mention uh, the seed that we'll be sowing for the flourishing of the church here on earth in the future. When you're persecuted, look ahead with the eyes of faith and see what God is doing in heaven and on earth through your suffering and you will want to leap for joy. Third reason why being persecuted for righteousness' sake is such a blessed thing, according to Jesus, is because of the good company that you will be keeping in suffering for him. Matthew 5, 12, it says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. See, if people lie about you and slander you, and, and try to ruin your reputation and make you look bad, you're in the best company you could be in. 
because you become part of that great company of prophets and men and women that have gone on before you and have experienced the brunt of the fiercest hostility and anger that this world can throw at them, the ones of whom the world was not worthy, and you would be a part of that great company. Suffering for Christ is a blessed thing. It's a cause of great joy because you get to join a great company of apostles and prophets and great men and women and children that have suffered for Christ so courageously throughout the years. You are in good company if you are persecuted on account of Christ. Remember that. Now as we wrap up, I'll give a couple of applications for this beatitude. First of all, this beatitude tells us much about how we should view the Lord Jesus Christ. See, you can test whether or not your view of Christ is accurate and biblical and consistent with reality by looking at this beatitude. Think about this. Does everybody you talk to about Jesus love and applaud your Jesus? Does even the worst non-believer that you talk to about Jesus love the Jesus that you present to them? If the Jesus you worship is somebody that everybody just loves and adores, uh, then you may be worshiping an idol because the real Jesus is hated by millions. Now, there are millions who love him, but there are millions who hate him. Now, when you talk to your unbelieving acquaintances or coworkers and friends about Jesus, do they say, oh, that's just the kind of person I like. I like that Jesus. If that's the way all of them talk, then, and none of them get mad or get turned off, or none of them ever say to you, I, I don't want anything like that, then the Jesus you are professing may be someone who doesn't exist, because the only Jesus there is, is someone who many people hated, and he's someone who many people hate today. So you can test your view on Jesus Christ by looking at this beatitude. Does everyone love the Jesus you present to them? If they do, there may be a problem. You can also test your views on what a Christian is by this beatitude. See, a Christian is like Jesus. The servant is like his master. A Christian literally means little Christ, Right? And just as Jesus wasn't praised and applauded by everybody, who's, uh, a Christian also is a man or a woman who isn't praised and applauded by everybody. Does everybody like you? To really think about that in your own mind. Does everybody like you, no matter if they're Christian or not? Does everybody you know think you're a great guy and you have no critics? There's nobody that ever says anything bad about you. There's nobody that you make mad on account of Christ. Everybody loves you and thinks you're the greatest guy in the world. If, if you're that guy who all believers and non-believers alike just love to death, something is wrong. There's a problem. We're not better than Jesus. We're no better than him. A servant is like his master. If you're living for Christ, there are going to be some people who are going to hate you and criticize you and talk about you behind your back. And if, and if they don't, then there is something wrong, particularly the people you work with. If everybody in the office or on the job likes you and thinks you're just great and they love to, have, uh, they love to be around you because you're too chicken to say a word for Christ, then something is wrong. 
Something is wrong. That is, unless you're working with all devout Christians and there's nobody else in the entire business that's not a Christian. That is possible. But if that's not your situation, if you're living for Christ, eventually somebody's going to hate you. And don't be surprised when it happens. Don't be embarrassed about it. Don't be ashamed of it. Now, try your best to keep it from happening, uh, you know, because of your own stupidity or your own sin. But when it happens, for the sake of Jesus, don't be embarrassed about it. Be happy. Leap for joy. Another application. Fallen non-Christian people are at war with God, and they are at war with Christ. Although they may talk about God and go to church to supposedly worship God, the Bible tells us that people who are not genuine believers have in their hearts hatred towards the living God. Now, if you think I'm exaggerating, read John 3. Read Romans 2. Why is it that non-Christians persecute Christians? Why is that? It's because they love God so much? No. They do it because they hate the God we serve, and they hate the Lord Jesus Christ. So don't naively look at people simply because they look all civil and dignified and wholesome and believe that they're actually wholesome if they're not believers. Don't judge a book entirely by its cover. They're broken, and we must have pity and compassion and mercy for them, and we must ask the Lord out of love for them uh, to save them and to make them truly whole. But don't just assume that just because they look the part that they actually are the part. One more thing. This beatitude shows us that the Christian is unlike everybody who is not a Christian. The gospel creates a distinction a very clear distinction and a clear division between the Christian and the non-Christian. The non-Christian in himself proves that very point by persecuting the Christian. Let's go ahead and stand, guys. Let's stand. As the musicians come up, I'll say that we learn one more thing from this beatitude. We learn something about the Christian life with this beatitude we learn that the whole Christian life is controlled and ruled by Jesus Christ and by our loyalty and our faithfulness to him. He is the ultimate concern in our lives. Amen? Don't be a people pleaser. Don't do that. The only person that we should strive to please above and beyond everyone else is the Lord Jesus Christ so that we can say, whether we're persecuted or not, To live is Christ, and to die is gain. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.